I'm Charlie Melcher, founder of the Future of Storytelling. This week, storytellers of all kinds are gathering in New York City for the illustrious Tribeca Festival, which brings together some of the very best work in film, TV, gaming, and immersive. So for today's episode, I thought it would be timely to revisit a conversation I had back in 2021 with Tribeca CEO and co-founder, Jane Rosenthal. I hope you enjoy it. Jane Rosenthal, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Future of Storytelling podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm such a fan of yours, Charlie. The feeling is mutual, Jane. (laughs) So tell us to start how Tribeca got its start. How did Tribeca get its start? Well, first of all, you don't quit your day job to start a film festival. Tell me about it. (laughs) Even though uh, Bob De Niro and I had talked for years about starting a film festival, it wasn't until after uh, 2011 um, when our neighborhood was uh, hit by the terrorist attack that we felt that we needed to do something to help our community. We weren't... uh, firefighters, we were engineers, what could we do to help? And the only thing we knew was how to put on a show and how to hopefully bring a new a new memory to our community, something to look forward to, and to tell the world that we're still here and our voices were going to rise up louder and prouder than ever. Uh, we put that first film festival together in 120 days um, after 9-11, my motto was uh, no was not an option, and um, we, just, we just kept going. Um, I did only think it was going to be, uh, be one festival. That was going to be it, and um, we just had our 20th anniversary. So You know, I, I can't help but see the comparison to 20 years later and us this year, you, you being one of the first... New York festivals to go live again coming out of the pandemic. It was um, it was pretty emotional. Uh, we were the first North American film festival to be in person. We had hoped and you know thought based on uh, information we were getting that COVID would decline in the summer months, and we had moved the date to to June, and. Um, created um, a lot, you know, what I like to call outdoor multiplexes. So we were able to be in all five boroughs. So it was, it was very special, but it was that feeling of people coming out of isolation and having to create a sense of new rituals. You know, the first few days, it was a bit awkward, but it was exhilarating because it was just the sense that we were together again. And that's, I think, what uh, we all missed most during that time of COVID. Well, first of all, I really applaud your uh, will, your drive. I mean, I had to make the same decision about future of storytelling last November and decided it was too risky (laughs) or it wasn't the time. I also can't help but see that, you know, with the first Tribeca Film Festival, you were trying to bring everyone to to Tribeca, to Lower Manhattan. In this one, this year, you really brought the festival to the rest of New York. You really were this distributed festival this year, and that's that's must have been so much more complicated. 
infinitely more com complex to just get it out into all those boroughs. It was definitely a bit more complex, but I jokingly say that Tribeca stands for the triangle below Canada. Uh, and for years, our footprint has been actually much larger than, than Tribeca. We've hosted screenings in venues all over the city. Some of our openings and sometimes our closing night have been at the Beacon, at Radio City Music Hall, at uh, Apollo in Harlem. Um, and of course, this year we were up at the United uh, Palace uh, Theater in um, Washington Heights. It was important to us this year to be in all those neighborhoods and to help communities that have uh, suffered so greatly and to the restaurants and to, you know, just be able to bring not just our, our films and our stories, but some people too. <laughs> yeah, our dollars, yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about how uh, the film festival has evolved over those 20 years. I, I also noticed that you decided to lose the word film in the title of Tribeca Festival. Well, at the end of, you know, at the end of the day, we're an artist-driven festival, and it becomes our curatorial voice and spotlighting new and diverse voices. Um, and that's at the core of whatever we do, uh, whether that's uh, in anything within the linear film space, television space, um, or in games or podcasts or our VR arcade. Um, theaters are important and the experience uh, to go to theaters and have that communal experience, you know, is important as community, as part of our humanity, as just things that we, we do as, um, as humans. But there's um, so many other uh, different ways of telling stories and experiencing entertainment, and that's what we like to do. We share that, as, as you and I have discussed many times over the years, of, of our passion for storytelling in its many forms and, and in discovering the new media or technologies that enable storytelling in new ways. Tribeca has always been an innovator there, featuring games early on and, and uh, all different types of interesting work. The fact that the models for film and have been disrupted. I mean, that that's a big deal. And certainly COVID accelerated some of that disruption, right? It's not, wasn't new, but, but it certainly did um, um, accelerate some of those. How do you feel about all that personally? I mean, as, as, as a person who's made so many wonderful, so, literally some of my favorite movies of all time, Meet the Fockers and <laughs> so, so many great ones. So, so how do you feel, how are you feeling about that personally? Um, I'm excited about it because, you know, it's, it's almost like, what's the weight of the story? What's the best way to tell this story? Now there are more options. Uh, what platform is going to hold the story the best? And we'll be able to present it to the audience in the best way. And so as a, as a producer, it's, it's exhilarating. It's very freeing to the creative mind and what you can do. I love that. Of course, I share that. I, you know, I come from the background of book publishing. That was, and that got disrupted also seriously with, with digital technology. And I found there were people who, 
were very threatened by those changes and wanted to sort of hide under their desks and hoped it would all go away. Uh, and then there were, there were a smaller group of people who would embrace that uh, the new opportunities and get excited about them. And part of our role is to help inspire that next generation of storytellers, the innovators, the people who are going to take what's been done so far and push it to that next level with the, you know, the next iteration, see something, and also have a place to, to be recognized, to a platform to be celebrated and encouraged. And do you agree? Have you been thinking the same way about the work that you all do at Tribeca, about the role in, in terms of inspiring next generation artists? Well, it's always about inspiring uh, the next generation and being inspired by the next generation. Those voices might be a little raw when you first see them, but eventually they, you know, they'll come back another year and, you know, they've massaged their, um, their talent more. And uh, we also have a market for new works uh, and, um, Again, that's uh, to give opportunities to both the industry and to filmmakers, storytellers to show uh, new online works. I find that it's a time when when you're seeing these first examples, particularly in, in, the, in the new media space, okay, not, not specifically in new f- filmmakers, but where they're just figuring out that, in, that relationship to the new tools, to the new technologies, and a lot of the things sometimes don't feel fully realized in those in these first examples, but that there's this important role of, and because of that, by the way, there's also not an economic model for many of these things, right? They're, they, they're not going to just get picked up and distributed by a major studio or, or, or game uh, shop. So, so the, the role that Tribeca plays and, and others provide such an important role in terms of uh, the encouragement sometimes even uh, allowing them to connect to economic support for the next iteration or just to feel like they're part of a community uh, because trailblazers are working alone often in a studio. Uh, I just think that, that you've played such an important role in all of those ways to help support that next generation of, of um, new media storytellers. Well, thank you for saying that. I wish that there could be a better business model for them, but it's been interesting to see unexpected changes in where people have gone. So you look at Chris Milk, who was clearly, you know, early adapter into VR and um, those early pieces that that he did um, uh, with Gabo Aurora and uh, the piece he did with Vecklin and, you know, the work that he's been doing with Aaron. He and Aaron have now developed um, Supernatural, which is uh, a way to exercise in VR. And it's fun and it's different, but I don't, you know, it's kind of, you didn't think that's where Chris would be when you watched his Beck, you know, his first pieces. Back VR there. piece. Yeah. We, we uh, actually featured that at Faust. <laughs> yes, we did at Tribeca too. Uh, but, uh, so you, and then you look at some of the other things. Uh, we had a piece that came out of Jeremy Balenson's lab at Stanford, which was about underwater acidity. And this uh, young man and his parents um, 
came over and wanted to see the piece. The young man had been a quadriplegic from birth and just had never moved. And we put the VR goggles on him and all of a sudden he was swimming and, and he just like, you know, there was smile and tears and he was making these noises and you're like witnessing somebody who's never stood up or certainly never swam doing these things. And, and, and you look at the, you know, how VR has helped people who are infirmed, who can't travel. I mean, just there's been so many other aspects to it that aren't necessarily the road that you or I were going down. That's right. That's right. You also reminded me that we've been doing this for a while and (laughs) and we've watched things really change. I mean, from when we were showing off, premiering very first VR pieces, and then there was this euphoria about the potential of VR. <laughs> and then there was this fall and, and like the VR winter and, uh, and everyone trying to figure out like where does this go now and the evolution to, to the larger AR and XR. I'm wondering where y- you personally feel about where this is headed right now. And, well, and- when I look at what we had at the festival this year, there were a number of pieces that were documentary in nature, and they were able to use VR as a way to expand their stories and invite the audience into their stories more. So that to me was interesting, you know, a choice that if you're going to make a, a certain type of documentary, do you make it as a straightforward linear documentary or are there ways you want to tell the story in VR? So there were a number of those pieces in terms of the AR projects that we had. Um, Brianna's Garden, which uh, was a way to tell Brianna Taylor's story and to get a sense of who she was. Uh, Her sister uh, had uh, produced that piece and it was a way for a way for us to get to know somebody outside of what the media had been telling us and a way to kind of walk in her shoes and i don't think that could happen in just seeing just another straightforward uh you know piece about her uh you know specifically so I think it's interesting with how it's being used right now. Again, different than where we would have talked about it 10 years ago. What's your thought about the changing nature of the audience? Like, I, I love that expression, the people formerly known as the audience. I use that a lot <laughs> because audience suggests, you know, purely a passive role. I certainly see a trend towards some audiences or or some people at certain times wanting to or having an expectation to have a more uh, active role? I don't know about you, but one of my early experiences in going to a movie was like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And 
you went there, especially if it was midnight on St. Mark's Place, clearly dating myself, but you were there, you were there to dance and you were there to, (laughs) it was, you're going to watch the movie, but you're doing some other stuff too. So I don't know if it's changing or it's always been there. It hasn't been tapped enough. Um, we screened uh, Goodfellas for uh, an anniversary screening a couple of years ago. And it was fascinating sitting at the Beacon Theater and listening to the audience talk back to every character in that movie. And now it's how can you take that and twist it and have more fun with engaging, engaging your audience? There is a time and a place to have an interactive audience in a movie, and then there is a time that you just want everyone to lean back and listen. I do think that's one of the great things about movies. You get to listen to people talk without interruption, and perhaps you'll hear a point of view that you hadn't thought about before. I mean, it, it, it reminds us or it makes me want to ask the question, what, what do you think stories are for? Like, what role do they play in our lives? Oh, they take us to places that we've never been. They give us that. They can give us a historical context. Uh, they can take us to a fantasy realm. Um, whether you're talking about a the cave people sitting around telling stories, the the history of oral culture and how important it is to have a connection with stories and feel like something has actually happened. And it also, if you look at you know, the Vatican as a one of the first VR experiences, you know, going into a you know a church as a VR experience, it provides you with a sense of of hope and awe mm. and do you find that for you um that that tribeca continues to be engaging and and meaningful personally because of the opportunity to continue to learn absolutely if it if it wasn't i'd just curl up and <laughs> die i mean it's just i met a young filmmaker today uh who actually is a former dancer uh, at the New York City Ballet, and he's got this amazing, like, visual sense and style. And, of course, his whole life in the ballet has been about movement and how you move through space. And now he's taken what was his physical expression as his body and is now doing that to move a camera and and to tell his story. You just never know when you're going to turn around and meet someone like that. And I don't know, then I get excited and want to do mm. want to do more. As somebody who's had the opportunity to make, produce and, and help make so many amazing films over the years, how do you feel that impacts your role as a curator and producer of, of the festival? What's, what's the relationship for you between those two parts of your brain. Look, you certainly know as a producer how hard it is to do anything and what 
kind of limitations you have sometimes. By the way, the more limitations, the more creative you can be. So, uh, or you're forced to be sometimes. So, I think it certainly gives me an appreciation when looking at film to see how the director, the producer, that what they had to work with and how they were able to create something and um, and and have a, a real appreciation for for how hard it is. It's not it's not as easy as it as it looks all the time. And you know, we talked a little bit. I think we talked a little bit about this, but uh, there's all this technology, and everybody can have access uh, there's, um, to cameras, and you know you can take your phone and you can write, you know, write write a script, get it financed, cast it, distribute it all from your phone, and and edit it. And but that doesn't mean it's any good. There is a discipline to all of these things to making great stories. You know, hopefully part of what we curate and part of what we can spot are those that have the potential to go on and that you just want to, you know, follow till the ends of earth. (laughs) Let's talk about the need for more diversity and diverse voices telling stories. We both know that there's not as not as much diversity as there should be, uh, let's say, in film and television, in, in publishing, in, in gaming, in XR, in, in so many of the of the storytelling fields. How have you approached that at Tribeca, and what are your thoughts to, on how to help solve that problem? So, first of all, at Tribeca, this is not new to us. We have been. Um, even before we uh, started the film festival, we would um, host screenings of unfinished films and from diverse filmmakers. Uh, that said, that's not enough. Everyone has to do that. We have programs um, at Tribeca that are, um, whether it's uh, through her lens uh, with Chanel for women, women filmmakers, or the work that we've done with um, P&G and and Queen Latifah. We do a number of of programs. But the other thing in terms of our company uh, is about, you know, is mentoring and bringing people up within, within your company. It's also about mentoring on film sets, and it is finding those who are not um, not so much not so much the people who are the people who are in the, who are in the in the middle, if you will, that need to be able to that are already in the system, but they're sort of stuck in that you know third tier. And how do you mentor them to go to two and one? Again, it's about discovering talent, and it's not just about discovering talent that is going to be creating, it's who's also going to be making. It's funny, it makes me think about the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's classic hero's journey, which I refer to all the time, and, and I just always love that idea that you know, it's the mentor's role to encourage our hero out on their, on their uh, quest, and, and that 
mentor gives them a magical gift often to help them on their way. And I think about what you do at Tribeca as kind of that magical gift that you give to help mentor so many people on their, on their path as artists and storytellers. So. Uh, you're very kind to say that, but you know, there's somewhat a method to my madness in that, Charlie. Because I view that if you mentor enough people, you're helping them on their way up, that when you're on the way, you're the way down, that they're going to help you. So, so uh, last question. What's your favorite interactive story you've ever experienced? Is there one that stands out in your mind that, that just you thought, the world's different for me now that I've done this? I suppose I go back to like early days of Clouds Over Cedra, you know, that Banki Moon had commissioned and realizing that I could be in that refugee camp and see the horizon and the walls that kids were seeing or sit on the floor with the mother as she was trying to prepare meals and putting her children to bed. And that was like being right there was so powerful. The other VR piece was uh, an, a piece that actually Baobab did a couple of years ago, Jack, which was Jack and the Beanstalk, that was with a uh, live actors. And you were interacting with the live actors in animation and VR, and it was uh, you know, just suddenly realizing how you were now going to be able to take children's theater and theater and take it into a whole other realm. And, you know, it's a different way of taking theater on the road. You know, I think some of the VR animation is some of my most favorite pieces because you already are suspending your sense of of belief of where you could be and um those to me become the most some of the most successful pieces i think i i use this expression i, I forget who said it but uh that the future is already here it's just unevenly distributed and and i think that you and i have this job of trying to help um, aggregate it and bring it back so that every other storytellers and other creators and marketers and uh, audience can see it and um, and get excited by it and want to help make it even more more powerful and glorious. Well, Jane, thank you. It's such an honor to get to spend this time with you. I so appreciate everything that you do. Um, you don't know it, but you're a mentor to me. <laughs> I didn't bother you with all the details of that, but you are. <laughs> oh, gosh, Holly, thank you. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon. I always learn so much from you all the time and um, really honored uh, to be on your podcast. And Look forward to seeing you in the real world soon. Thanks for listening to the FOSS podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe and share it with a friend. And of course, I'd like to give a special thanks to Jane Rosenthal for joining me today. You can find a full transcript of our conversation and learn more about Tribeca by visiting the link in this episode's description. The FOSS podcast is produced by Melcher Media 
in collaboration with our talented production partner, Charts and Leisure. FOST also sends out a monthly newsletter that features articles, upcoming events, and original content showcasing the cutting edge of storytelling. Join the FOST community by subscribing at fost.org slash sign up. I hope we'll see you again in a couple of weeks for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on. <laughs>